Private donations versus state transparency, a Supreme Court case that will answer the question, can states require charities to report their donor lists for review? Professor Roger Colenvo from Columbus School of Law joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us. We're talking about another free speech case today, and this one has to do with the ability to make private emphasis on private donations to charities. But before we get to that, we need to thank our sponsor for their generous support, NOTA. NOTA is powered by M&T Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnota.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's notice spelled N-O-T-A. Terms and conditions may apply. All right. Let's say hello to our guest, Professor Roger Colenvo. He's the director for law and public policy program at Columbus School of Law. Welcome to the show, Professor. Thank you very much, Lawrence. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. No, thank you for being here. And so I have a quick little uh, introductory question here for you. And so this case, as I came to discover it and read about it on SCOTUS blog, it has two names from what I understand. Uh, it's referred to, I think, on SCOTUS blog as Americans for Prosperity Foundations versus Bonta. But it, I think it started as Americans for Prosperity Foundations versus Rodriguez. So I was just, what should we call the case, I guess, Professor? <laughs> Well, I think we should call it Bonta now because uh, the reason for the change is because the California State Attorney General keeps changing. So they're changing oh. the last name of the case depending on who the Attorney General is. Okay, perfect. Then we'll call it Bonta. So thank you for that clarification. It was a little confusing to me in my research. So I guess uh, opening question for you, just generally speaking, you know, when it comes to 501c3 donations and privacy, you know, what's kind of the baseline standard? You know, what what's sort of I guess the normal when it comes to that, minus this California law? Well, as with all questions, there's not always a direct answer. So um, <laughs> I think that the baseline standard really is under federal law. So under federal law, whenever a charity um, files its uh, information return with the government, which is the Form 990, it is required as a part of that form to report its major donors. Um, and that is really defined as uh, people who give the greater of $5,000 or 2% of the organization's support for the year. So there is no baseline requirement to disclose all of your donors. There's just a baseline requirement under federal law to disclose major donors. Okay. And then uh, are there instances when the government can legally require even the smaller donors when it comes to these 501c3 donor lists? Well, so that's the, that, that question really then depends on what the context for the government's request would be, right? And that's partly the issue in this case. But if, for example, there was a small donor that was making a contribution and the, and the government wanted to verify that there was such a contribution, then they might want to know who the donor was to make sure that, that the tax benefit and the tax deduction was appropriately taken. So there are reasons that the government might need to know donor information. Um, but it really depends on on why the government's asking, and it's all very contextual. All right, well, let's dive into our case today. So uh, these are the facts behind uh, Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Bonta. So, Professor, if you could uh, tell us what happened here, the facts, and then also tell us how it made its way up to the Supreme Court. Okay, well, happy to. And really, I think to understand what happened here, one does have to have a little bit of a, a broader understanding of charity law and charity regulation, generally speaking. And so 
When you think about both the petitioners in this case, the Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the Thomas More Law Center, they're both 501c3 organizations, which means they are recognized as charities under federal law and they're tax exempt and they can receive tax deductible contributions. So as 501c3 charities, they also have certain reporting obligations. So they must file with the federal government, the IRS, every year, the Form 990. And the Form 990 contains a lot of different information about the charity. And a part of that Form 990 is what's called the Schedule B. Uh, and so on the Schedule B, charities will list their major donors and report that information to the IRS. Now, the Schedule B, when reported to the IRS, is reported on a confidential basis. So the IRS receives it, but does not make it publicly available, and it's subject to very strict confidentiality protections in federal law. So that is background for the two charities in this case. And what happened here was the, the two charities are not organized in the state of California. They're organized in other states but they both want to raise charitable funds within the state of California. And so back in probably 2012 or 2013, the California State Attorney General changed their reporting rules to require that organizations seeking to raise charitable contributions in California must provide the Schedule B to the State Attorney General. So in effect, California said, look, if you want to raise charitable funds in this state, then you must provide us with the same information that you already provide to the federal government. Now, California was something of an outlier in requesting the Schedule B, as we've learned from the litigation, just a handful of states currently request it, Hawaii, New York, California, New Jersey. And the petitioners in this case um, said effectively, no, we're not going to provide you with the Schedule B information. And so they litigated. They initially won at the district court level in California, then they lost on the Ninth Circuit, and then it was appealed to the Supreme Court. And so essentially at issue is whether the California State Attorney General can require charities when soliciting contributions to report their major donor information to the attorney general on a confidential basis. Yeah. And there's a lot of concern in this particular instance, because uh, apparently from what I read, California's had some difficulties keeping information behind its websites confidential. And so these charity groups, they're a little concerned that their donors will be scared away because they won't be able to keep this information from being uh, widely accessible to the public. So that gets me to my next uh, question, Professor. There seems to be two distinct amicus groups here that have an interest in this case. And so I saw that some 250 groups filed amicus briefs in support of Thomas More and the Americans for Prosperity. So could you tell us about those two sides, who's on them, and then kind of, I guess, what's their concern? Because it seems to be centered around, we want transparency with these, these charities. We're worried about, you know, people donating money and doing bad things with their money, but we're also worried about free speech. So walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, happy to. So like any complex case, I think for any case to get to the Supreme Court, there have to be nuances and complexities and important issues at stake. And I think this case really falls under a number of almost caricatures. And where the, the petitioners, and that's the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, and I think many of the amicus supporting their side of the argument have been successful, 
is in framing this case by very strong appeals to donor privacy and freedom of association. And I think if, if you want to try and capture this in a nutshell, the way they're looking at the case is as a simple case of government overreach, which is to say the attorney general, uh, who is the chief law enforcement officer of a state, has decided to probe into a private association and demand to see who its donors are. And when you phrase the issue that way, it sounds like a real affront, right? Which is why should a state attorney general law enforcement officer be able to demand who my donors are? So I think that the petitioners frame the argument that way and the amicus briefs on their side are really seeing this purely from the standpoint of free speech that this is a demand that really has no basis in law and that the attorney general doesn't have a reason for this information. So it's sort of like government overreach, government interference with the affairs of a private organization. And I think you have to layer on top of that some, I guess, partisan or political concerns, which is remembering that the attorney general is a political officer and that here you're talking about what is a fairly liberal state, California, and the attorney general at the time was now the vice president, Kamala Harris. Um, and the organization in question is generally identified with right-leaning positions. So there's the sense of maybe this is a, a partisan move by a political officer. So I think if you view the case that way, you would say, look, California has no business. On the other side, it's, it's really trying to see that what California is doing is not interfering in the affairs or the associational rights of the organization, but California is exercising its centuries-old duty to oversee the integrity of charitable assets. So for my side of the case, and I, I helped to author one of the briefs that was supporting the state of California, this issue is very much about trying to make sure that when funds are raised for charitable purposes, when they have gone to be used for the public good and they are raised with a trust that the funds will be used for that good, it is the appropriate role of the state attorney general to make sure that the funds are used as intended. And this disclosure rule, this reporting rule, was written at the federal level to help provide effective oversight to make sure funds are used for charitable purposes. So I think on one side, you have saying that this is just government overreach into private affairs. And on the other side, you have, no, this is um, simple, efficient government oversight that's necessary to help make sure that charitable assets are used for charitable purposes. That was a great walkthrough of what argument each side is making here. And so I guess in terms of free speech, when it comes to the Supreme Court making its decision in this case, what's the main issue that they're going to have to decide on? So, and I will, I will try to be brief here because I, one could talk <laughs> about this for a long time, so I'm sorry, but there's really multiple issues, which is why this case is so important. So I think in order for the court to decide the case, they've got to have a position on at least three points, two of which are probably the, the most important. So one, they have to decide whether California's interest is important or not. Um, and in the language of the law, they have to decide, is this a compelling state interest? Is it a strong interest? What is it? 
Um, and this really, really matters at the state and the federal level, because if the Supreme Court essentially looks at California's role in charitable oversight and dismisses that role and says that it is effectively a weak interest, that really poses serious questions about how effective states and the federal government can be in making sure that charitable assets are used for charitable purposes. So that's one thing the court has to decide. How strong is the court's interest? Another thing the court has to decide is whether there is a burden to First Amendment rights, and if so, how severe the burden is. And ultimately here, the, the argument of the petitioners is that the First Amendment harm is, is a very speculative harm, because what they're saying is that donors are essentially afraid that the government, California, will unlawfully leak the confidentially filed information. And if that information leaks, then members of the public will find it and will harass the donors, causing them harm, and that will have a chilling effect on the associational rights of the charity. And so the question for the court is to recognize that there is a concern here about association, there is a concern about the chilling effect, but how severe is that effect? And this is also very important because if the court were to conclude that there is a significant First Amendment harm simply by providing to the government on a confidential basis the identity of major donors, then it will not matter which government requests the information. So it won't matter whether it's the state of California or any other state or the federal government. And so if this sort of information reporting causes a significant First Amendment harm, then we would expect the petitioners to challenge a number of federal laws. And this is where the implications of the case become really very important because there is an identical requirement to provide this information to the IRS. But even more broadly, under federal reporting transparency rules, Right now, a certain type of charity known as private foundations have to publicly, publicly disclose their donors. Um, and so if there's a significant burden from the confidential reporting of major donor information, then there surely will be an even more or greater burden from the public disclosure of that same information. And furthermore, the entire Form 990 that is filed annually by hundreds of thousands of charitable organizations to the IRS each year is a public document. And in that document, there's a lot of information that arguably would affect associational rights, just like major donor information would. So right now, charities report the names of board members, the names of key employees, the compensation levels of the high compensated employees, they identify grantees, they identify a number of other important financial transactions. All this information is publicly available and in fact has been the linchpin of charitable oversight for over 50 years. And so how the court resolves this case has clear implications to federal law and charity oversight. And I haven't even started to talk about the potential election law implications. In my research, a couple of the articles that I read uh, indicated that the court may be hinting 
that it's going to decide against the state of California. So my last question for you, Professor, is uh, when do you think we'll actually uh, be able to see or expect to see a decision in this case? And then I guess if you were put, uh, to put your predictions hat on, what do you think that decision is going to be? Well, um, they're, they're saying that we should expect a decision before the end of term, so before the end of June. Based on the oral argument, I think the good money is on California losing. The real question is, how does California lose? Will the court craft a narrow holding that really just limits the case to the context of California? And the fact that, as you said earlier, California did not adequately protect this information. And and that's an important way the court could limit the case. But does the court instead provide the full relief that Americans for Prosperity Foundation wants, which is to declare the entire reporting requirement facially unconstitutional. And if the court takes that broad of an approach, that's when the implications um, really start to kick in uh, outside the state of California. I think it's very hard to predict based on the oral argument. Um, There was certainly, I think, an appetite for facial unconstitutionality, but I think the court was also mindful of, of not opening the door to too many uh, new uncertainties in federal law as well. But it's anybody's guess. Well, Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed the opportunity to talk about this important case. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard and have not done so already, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcasting app. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. That's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew for keeping the wheels on. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clenny. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> 